If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to Knockin' Doors Down. Brought to you by KDD Media Company. I was a disaster. I go, I would lie to my accountant. I would lie to my father. Um, because I needed it. I needed the money. I needed to buy the friends. I needed to feel right. important. I need everybody to think that this broken imposter syndrome that I even had back then, that Darren Prince arrived and then to look at look at me and look at you. I was the kid in the back of the room that couldn't speak. I was the one that was too dumb to get anywhere in life, but now look at me. Before we get to our guest this week, Darren Prince, we got to thank a few sponsors. Mikey. Jason. Have you ever had a Pavlovian response? I don't know what that means. Well, so essentially, you know, when I used to drink beer and stuff like to wind down at night, I would crack a can, I would hear the fizzy, and then that nice drink, right? Well, now being sober, not doing that, I still enjoy cracking a can of something and that nice fizzy taste. Okay. So recently, stopped in my local 7-Eleven, and I saw Liquid Death. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm going to have to try it out. Just on the hook alone that it is actually water from the Alps, 100% mountain water. Okay, you're going to get me on like the rugged nature of it and kind of the the metal, you know, because I love my heavy metal. So I'm like... Liquid death. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, and it said murder your thirst. I'm like, all right, it's in a 16.9 ounce can, a tall boy. What I used to drink when I drank, I'm like, I'm going to try this out. And I was hooked, man. That's pretty metal. That's pretty metal water right there. Yeah, it's really good. Like I said, it's available, of course, at 7-Eleven as well. They have it at uh, Whole Foods, so you can get at a lot of different locations. Or go to liquiddeath.com. Check it out. Not only do they have the delicious water that it's just, it really is good for me. That, Like I said, that nice Pavlovian response at end of the night. Still like to wind down. Don't drink anymore at all, but I like something refreshing. So I pop that top. I hear the fizz. My mouth is watering. I take a drink of liquid death. And unlike a tall boy, you could drink multiple liquid deaths and wake up not hungover, <laughs> but hydrated. You're right, and that is a nice bonus. So check it out now, guys. Liquiddeath.com. Or if you're like me, stop into your local 7-Eleven, Whole Food Markets, and other local retailers that are starting to stock the shelves with liquid death. The other cool thing, Mikey, we care about the environment, right? Especially the animals. Course, you know I do. Liquid Death comes in an aluminum can. So what do you want to do? Recycle that some bitch. It's just that easy. Turn it in, get some money, and go buy more Liquid Death with it. And murder that thirst. That's right. Not only murder that thirst, but hashtag death to plastic. Go to liquiddeath.com and get a koozie two-pack. $8 value, 
on us when you purchase a 12-pack and use the code KNOCKIN. That's K-N-O-C-K-I-N, KNOCKIN, at checkout. Also available nationwide at 7-Eleven and Whole Foods. We thank Liquid Death for sponsoring this episode of the Knockin' Doors Down podcast. This episode of Knockin' Doors Down is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com and use the code KDD. This is the Knockin' Doors Down podcast. We speak with those who have taken some of their darkest times and turned it into their greatest advantage. Our guest this week, Darren Prince, is no different. And we'll talk more about him in a second. Of course, I'm your host, Jason Lachance. I raise my hand and say alcoholic. And I've got some other issues as well documented. But hey, we can't let that hold us back. And my co-host, Mikey Naraki, no different. What is going on, people? Our friend Darren Prince, man, what a great guy. And really appreciate him jumping on here. Not only is he the CEO of the Prince Marketing Group, Many big-name clients up there, uh, Magic Johnson, Hulk Hogan, he worked with Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier before their passing, but he also is a best-selling author of his book, Aiming High, and the Aiming High Foundation, which gives scholarships for those who uh, need to get off to a rehab facility, and he catches them at the right moment and is doing amazing work. You'll hear more about that in our conversation with Darren. Dude's just a jack-of-all-trades. He is. He really is, and such an awesome individual. And uh, we got to thank Course 5150 LTM. We can't do any of this without them. If you see the uh, postings on our social media, knocking doors down on Facebook and Instagram, at KDD Media Company on Twitter, we're rocking the 5150 gear, Mikey. That's right. They keep us swagged out. And uh, you can, by being a listener of Knocking Doors Down, well, you can get 20% off. How can they do that, my friend? Well, you use the code KDD20. What's that code again? KDD20. Nice. Tattoo industry? You got tattoos here? I've got two tattoos. Okay, right. That's I it. I got a couple. Can't even say. You guys have a, <laughs> guys have a few more. I got a couple. <laughs> but the, the whole idea was there, there was a story behind when and why I got them when I wasn't exactly in my right mindset. Sure, so sure. when they reached out, the guy's like, this is an amazing story. <laughs> love to interview you, put D- you on the cover. The only tattoos I've gotten that I don't remember due to being out of my mind were in Hollywood, so go figure, right? You know? Next to the Mondrian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to talk about it then. We're talking about, uh, of course, Darren Prince we're here with. Thank you, good sir, appreciate it. And we're talking about the uh, tattoo industry, your appearance in here, talking about uh, aiming high. Uh, of course, you've got a foundation now. Since we've seen you last, it was like making moves, always working, and now you have a foundation. Let's start with that because it's news to me. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. You know, you're both uh, very special, not just to me, but to the world of recovery, mental health and substance abuse and stress, anxiety, all the craziness going on in the world right now. So thanks for relentlessly pushing the message with the best guests and uh, advocates that are are out there. So the foundation came about in December of 2019 after uh, my book came out and... uh, by the grace of God, uh, you know, became an international bestseller in four countries, aiming high. And I just wanted to keep giving back. I, yeah. I just said there, there's a bigger purpose here. I did probably 65 speaking engagements uh, for the year and a half that the book was out. And what, what I wasn't connecting on was when that magic would happen in a, at a gala, at a high school, at a college for a corporation. And I knew somebody 
bottom was about to turn into beginning for some yeah. God-given words that came out of my mouth. And I said to myself, I want to be that person that says, young man, young lady, you might not have the resources, I understand it, but because of my foundation, I want you to go home, pack your bags, we're gonna put you on an airplane and send you to Bannon Treatment Center, mm-hmm. Oaks Recovery, whatever it might be, and scholarship, yeah. Because you guys know when you have that moment of clarity, the window's very short. Sure, sure. yeah. And that's how the foundation, you know, came about, and it's been great. I, I've, you know, tapped into so many of my of my resources from celebrities and corporations, and everybody knows I'm certainly not an asker or, or a taker. I'm always a giver, but when it comes to recovery, it, it, there's yeah. there's nothing I'm not going to ask for because I know it's to help other people that are suffering. That's yeah, incredible, it, man. As it says, we give it away freely, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit more. Uh, jumping back into. Uh, I want to kind of talk more the period of when you really got off into substance. You know, your book, you highlight so much about yourself, an intelligent man. I mean, you know, doing the card trading early on. We're talking collecting cards for those that may not know Darren's story. You know, was it you were 17? 14. 14? Mm-hmm. And what cards were you selling that really started making you that money at that time? Well, I did a podcast actually yesterday, and I, I got into the whole story. I wasn't much of a student. I was always classified with having a learning disability, mm. slow learner, you know, verbally teased in small classrooms. But I had this infatuation with baseball cards, and I loved studying the statistics and knowing what any person, you know, batting average was, RBI, home runs, how many all-star appearances, how many world championships. And I became a statistical genius at like 12, 13. My friends, when they'd be talking sports, they'd always be like, oh, no, no, we got to ask Prince. We got to <laughs> ask Prince. So it was the one thing that actually made me feel really good about myself, yeah, that I had yeah. a purpose. And I had an intro to business teacher I'm still very near and dear with to this day, Elliot Lovey. And he told the class he wants everybody to go home and create a business. And in my mind, I already had one because at that time I had four side jobs. I was delivering pizza, squeezing orange juice at a local supermarket, working a stock room at um, a sneaker store, and I was a busboy at a diner. And I would take all that money and buy my friend's cards collections because at that point it was kind of corny and not cool anymore (laughs) when you're 14 years old. And I went home. And I went downstairs to my dad in my pajamas, and I remember like yesterday, and I said, Dad, I need insurance on my baseball cards. And 14-year-old kid telling your parent you need insurance in your baseball cards. My dad like rolled his eyes and said, what, what, what do you need in case we ever have a flood? I'll, <laughs> I'll get you the insurance. I'm like, probably eight or nine. My dad would have told me to get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, well, he thought he, he did. He looked at me like I was crazy. So I <laughs> yeah. threw out a number, eight or nine, and he goes, okay, I'll get you a thousand worth of coverage. I said, no, Dad, eight or nine thousand. So now he looks at me like I'm crazy. How did you get eight or 9,000 worth of cards? And I said, well, over the years, my friends always want the new players. They want Dom Mattingly, they want Tony Gwynn, they want Wade Boggs and Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden. And I like the old stinky cards that have like Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth that they got from their uncles and their grandfathers. So I would trade them the new ones for the older ones. Suckers. And (laughs) (laughs) that stuff went obviously through the roof. I had a price guide that was called CCP, Current Card Price Guide. It's not Beckett. Everybody thinks it was Beckett, um, which was before Beckett. And he's like, who will buy them? and What are they worth? And I started showing him and he took so much interest to see how passionate I was about this. And then he really challenged me. He goes, now where can you go sell them? And I pulled out a big newspaper ad from a local paper at the holiday and they were having a baseball card show in two weeks. It was like 40 bucks for a table for the day, eight feet. 
And Stephen Simon, who I go back with since I was 10 years old, uh, runs my agency now back in New Jersey, Prince Marketing Group. We discussed it. I go, hey, why don't you split it with me? You'll get four feet. I'll get four feet. And he goes, yeah, it sounds cool. I'll do it. I spent two weeks every single night after school, no homework, focusing on my display cases, the prices, the card holders, you know, total like OCD mode. And Steve might have spent three hours. He went into it for a hobby and just to have fun. He might have made 50 bucks that day and I made over a thousand dollars. And that was it. I mean, I found my calling. I knew that every weekend this is what I wanted to be doing and build, yeah. building a mail order baseball card business. So, go, ahead. go ahead. Okay. So before, like when you would trade the older cards for your friend, or you would give your friends the newer cards and you would take the older, did you know the value of them or did you just think they were cooler or did you know like these are going to be worth something it, for sure? I, I, I didn't know that they were going to worth something, but I did know they were worth more. Right, right. And I just knew being at that age, I was like, you know, you can't really find these old yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, I'd rather have these old, collectible ones versus the ones that you can go to any candy store and buy a pack of tops cards and still yeah, find a Don sure. Mattingly or a Daryl Strawberry. And they were more than happy to give it up because they were probably just given to them right. and everybody wanted the hot popular you guys. You want the new stuff. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's interesting because you bring that up. I'm dyslexic, so I know what it was like, that frustration that hey, I can relate to that so very much, but also having had a mom that sounds kind of like your dad that is like okay there's some crazy things but i'm gonna do it what was uh, what were your folks like because it's just interesting to me that your I, dad didn't discount it because he saw how invested you were yeah i my, my dad was my life he's still uh, i miss him every single day multiple times a day and um you know he just saw something in me um he was great with my sister knowing she was more of a student and he saw something very special um, when it came to business and I just immersed myself into being a sponge to all his business knowledge and um, My mom supported it because look, you know upper middle-class Jewish family in <laughs> suburbia I started getting notoriety. I did a bit on Sally Jesse Raphael at 16 years old really? in the New York Times Wall Street Journal Daily News USA Today um, I became like a local celebrity entrepreneur and you know that makes the mother proud and my uh you know, my sister, the same way, you know, she was just very proud of her brother. I tried going to college for one year. I partied my ass off, <laughs> uh, finally started hooking up with girls because I finally had interest with that and had a 0.86 GPA, but I made over $600,000 my freshman year in college selling cards. Yeah, screw school, <laughs> man. Um, <laughs> so it got to a money. point where, uh, you know, uh, Tim Ryan and Jennifer Menez, oh, I was yeah. on their podcast yesterday, yeah. and she was asking me, like, how were you with money? I go, it was a disaster. I go, I would lie to my accountant, I would lie to my father, um, because I needed it. I needed the money, I needed to buy the friends, I needed to feel right. important. I need everybody to think that this broken imposter syndrome that I even had back then, that Darren Prince arrived, and that look at, look at me and look at you. I was the kid in the back of the room that couldn't speak. I was the one that was too dumb to get anywhere in life, but now look at me. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, when I look back at it, I, I, I bought so many sort of friendships in my life that really shouldn't have been there. Um, and if, if there is a regret, yeah, listening a little bit more to my father and my late uncle, my uncle Stu now that's still alive, they always used to tell me back then that we don't care what you make, we care what you save, we care what you keep. And um, I was just a machine. I mean, mm -hmm. whatever came in, yeah, I'd save a few bucks, but I wanted to take everybody along for the ride. Mm -hmm. I, I still maintain a handful of those friends, though, that were real friends, uh, because I, I did have financial hardship uh, in my mid-20s at a certain point. 
And uh, I, I found out who my real friends were that remembered all the things I did when things were great. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how that uh, comes to pass, especially for so many of us that I, I know you relate. And then some the the once I went out, stopped drinking, those texts stopped coming, yep. the, the Facebook likes, the follows, the shares, the supports, the check-ins, it just, the shit just goes away. And at yep. first you kind of feel... For, for you know, people that are watching that maybe haven't experienced that or have a loved one that's feeling it, is that at first you're like, oh my God. And then once your ego goes away, you start to find gratitude. And I was like, thanks. You saved me a lot of heartache. No, of course. And, you know, when we look back at it, you don't, you know, you don't realize, but it, it, it is gratitude when, when you fast forward to a situation like that. But I, I remember after that first baseball card show, I was alive, wheeling, dealing, hustling. Everybody was coming to me for information. I was like a walking encyclopedia, the baseball card boom. And when I got back to my room that night in my, in my parents' house, and I'm sitting here with this wad of thousands of dollars in cash um, and bought by selling trading, I got new, new cards felt like a broken piece of crap i felt like the kid in the back of the room again i felt like the kid in the small classroom i i even though i wasn't fully active in my addiction i i think that that ability to be in the center of a room and getting all the accolades and people coming to me for you know advice at such a young age gave me such a feeling of importance but it wore off when i got back home alone in my own head Mm -hmm. and then eventually to supplement that and to fill that void you know, I became a full-blown drug addict. Yeah, it's interesting. Say it takes me back to one of our previous guests, who's actually my sponsor now. Um, and he said I was, uh, I uh, reflecting back that he noticed his um, addictive behavior before he was actually an addict. Mm. Yeah. So when did it start to leave? Was it the college days, the partying? Now you're getting the recognition from girls. You do have a good amount of money coming in, despite what the GPA is, but you didn't value that, right? And schooling isn't for a lot of people. It took me seven years to get through college, so yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Way too long. Well, you go to school to make money, and if you're already making a shitload of it, well then... School's <laughs> useless. Yeah, but... Fuck it. I, I, Gary V's a friend of mine. I love a video he posted on Instagram a couple gonna... weeks ago. Fuck you, school. Yeah. Fuck you, school. Yeah. Yeah, That's it. Should, it. If I could try now, I'd be like, I don't, don't go to college. Let me right. give you money to start a business. You yeah. know. But for me, it started at sleepaway camp. I talk about it in my book. I was 14. I had terrible stomach pains one night and I asked the counselor to take me to see the nurse and she gave me this green liquid in a clear cough syrup cup and tasted disgusting but all I remember is three minutes later all those inadequacies the inferiorities this skinny little shy awkward Jewish kid from New Jersey felt on top of the world I felt like Superman I got back to the bunk I'm the cool kid the talkative one all the guys are laughing with me not at me I got the courage to flirt with girls in the bunk next to me for the first time in my life and you know went to bed that night I'm not thinking anything of it I wake up the next day do all the activities play soccer softball whatever and um that very next night I'm lying in the bunk with no stomach pains but I'm staring up at the sky thinking my god that feeling was amazing Mm -hmm. and what do I do I learned to lie and con in that moment, I heal over. I put on the crocodile tears. The counter comes running over. You okay? You okay? I said, my stomach is killing me. Mommy, got to go back to the nurse. I did this for three straight weeks every single night until my mom and dad came up for visitation day and found out I was taking liquid Demerol. Holy shit. How old were you? 14? 14. 1984. So the 10 were there. Demerol. And, uh, you know, back then the opiates weren't as, you know, Every time I speak, there's always mothers in the audience. When I say that, there's the hemming and the hawing. And I, oh, my God. And then during the queue, and I can't believe this. And I said, don't blame the nurse. I had nothing to do with it. Because three months later, I had a dentist appointment. And one in three kids that get opiates now that a dentist become addicts. 
I was one of the three. Mm-hmm. And my mom gave me these two pills. I was in pain. And that exact same feeling came back. I'm on the phone calling up all my boys. I'm the brilliant one, the smart one. I got all these great ideas. I'm funny. And uh, I saw there was only four pills left. So I put the crocodile tears on for her two days later. And I go down holding my cheek. I said, Mom, I got a horrible infection. I need your help. We got to go to the dentist as a loving mother who wants to see their child suffer, right? So she took me first thing the next morning. And the dentist bought it too and gave her another 12 pills at the pharmacy of extra strength Vicodin. And uh, from there, I was off to the races because the business was booming. You know, I was making you know, a quarter of a million dollars at 14, 15 years old. Um, and I had the resources to just party like a rock star, which I did for the next six or seven years until it all hit a brick wall at 21. I was arrested four times in six months for possession charges, not to distribute for use. Right. I was the one that was always had the bag of freaking ecstasy on me or blow or marijuana or Xanax or pills and happened once at a concert, once at an airport, um, another time in a car accident. And I never looked at myself once as the problem. Right. I said, the police never should have been there. It was bad timing. <laughs> Why did this asshole throw yeah. me the bag at the Allman Brothers concert? Why did I have to catch it? And um, the judge thought the opposite and put me into an outpatient program for a year. And uh, with two days to go, he basically warned me and said, you get in trouble again, so you're going to prison for six months. Do you understand me? So now I knew I had to pay attention. And with two days to go, my, my counselor there um, came in. He goes, I got good news. You're done. You don't need to come back. So in my mind, that resonated as I graduated because it was long before I got into recovery. So I was like, this is great. So I called my friend Dave. I said, man, I got the best idea. Pick me up. We're going to go to the city, to Jimmy's Cafe. Let's bang out a bunch of mind eraser shots and get banged up. And on the way in, we took a handful of Xanax. Long and short, our minds were erased. He fell asleep behind the wheel on Highway 280 in New Jersey. His car went into a ditch. My face went into the windshield. And I wake up in a complete blackout with 90 stitches in my face. Glass everywhere, concussion, split lip, my nose broken. And who are the first two people I see? My mom and my dad with tears running down their face that they can't help their baby boy that knows nothing about what's going on. That I, I just had zero accountability two days after I left a one-year outpatient program. Jeez. And so for a full year, and that just goes to show the power, uh, powerlessness we have over these things and how much it is so much ingrained into this thing up here until we change it and deal with it. Yeah. I mean, we all have the horror stories and the worst stories. It's to me, the, you know, the best part is though, we've all been able to turn our bottom into a new beginning, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, I, I've got, I really have no regrets. I think my whole life worked out the exact way it was meant to work out. I think really so. do. And, you know, recovery and having the responsibility and the accountability now as a advocate around the world. I say this often. I said it on Jay Shetty's interview when I was with him about a month ago that you know, I don't I don't even care about the money anymore, man. And, and the business. I care about it so I can help people. Yeah, I care about it so I can employ the nine people that mean so much to me in New York, New Jersey and L.A. And I could take care of my mom and my sister. But when you truly find you on the inside, when you find peace and happiness and serenity every single day and can live life like lasagna, that's the way I look at it. It's 
the greatest thing in the world. I'll figure life out. Something else will come my way. You know, I'll look back and say, God, thank you for the amazing run we had. Yeah. You know, thank my clients, the incredible relationships. Every one of them are basically family at this point. You know, that's what people need to, to understand. Yeah, it's great to have success, but you got to work on loving yourself on the inside for that external success to mean anything. Yeah. You know? So if I lose this, I don't have a big, beautiful penthouse in Brentwood anymore. I'll move into a little studio on a couch, or my boy Craig is here. I'll live with him. <laughs> um, you know, I just, uh, I just found a pace of peace that's just unexplainable. You know. More with Mr. Darren Prince coming up for you guys. We'll talk about the pivotal role that Magic Johnson played into his career, as well as heading towards sobriety and finally having it stick. We'll talk about that moment once he felt a presence of a higher power that he knew he was done with his addiction and the wonderful things he's doing with the Aiming High Foundation, sending people on a full scholarship to rehab facilities and a true example of giving back. And of course, fun random questions with Darren Prince coming up. Breaking news. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, and details on the 4.0 are next level. What makes this trimmer different than all the other trimmers, you may ask? A new multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock created for the people who like to travel. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. And look-wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish even features a hot foil stamped black chrome manscaped logo show that mower off loud and proud get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code kdd at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code kdd unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped this episode of Knocking Doors Down is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to add the Knockin' Doors Down podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. It's funny because you, you were talking about the, the lasagna layers. Reminds me of our mutual friend of ours, Greg Champion. We had went and yep. visited Startup Recovery. What a what amazing Great work guy. they're doing there. Love Greg. Uh, but what, you know, when you talk about the lasagna, it's about the thing that once we discover in sobriety, that ability of resilience. Because like you said, you making the money, but you went down here financially too. Yep. Now, what were some of the people? Because, I mean, you know, we, you welcome us into to your place here. We got the pictures of, 
I mean, guys that have grown up loving Hulk Hogan. You got Muhammad Ali and Kobe. my out Kobe, mm-hmm. my all-time favorite, Magic Johnson. Yeah. Would you talk about that relationship a little bit? Because there's yeah. some significant things that uh, Ma- Magic, Magic has been. I like to call him Irvin by his real name. Uh, just one of the biggest professional and personal blessings in my life. We started working together in 1993. I was booking autograph signings for him, and uh, as I talk about in my book, I was buying and selling memorabilia, and I made a mistake trusting a source that cost me everything, put me in tremendous debt. There was a big investigation. I was cleared by the FBI of doing anything wrong, but I realized that I'd probably be good in the mob because I didn't rat a guy out. And uh, in the you Jewish gave him mob, nothing, and you told them nothing, and <laughs> they needed to charge me with something. So they charged me with a felony charge of making a false statement to the FBI, and I lost everything. I was virtually almost a million dollars in debt. I sent out refund letters to all our customers to offer refunds. Half the people took it. Other half of the people thought the product looked so great they didn't care. Um, and you know, I saw magic and. Uh, cried my eyes out one day about what was happening. And he goes, Darren, God tests great men and women. He tested me with HIV and look at me now. And he's testing you. And you're going to come out stronger and wiser. And uh, I literally had $3,000 left in my name. And I took the last three grand and took my father on a fly fishing trip to Alaska. And being an old school Jewish guy, he hated the fact that I spent any money on it. But fishing was our thing. And it was a trip of a lifetime. And we got in an argument about, you're going. I don't care. We need this trip. And on that boat, on this incredible stream, fly fishing, um, the conversation come up. He goes, what's your next move? What are you going to do? You're going to try to stay in the business a day. You know what? I said, haters are a part of life. Everybody was there when I was on top. Now that this is happening, I can hear the crickets. I can hear people talking. I want to evolve. I want to be an agent, but I just don't have eight years to go to law school. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He goes, why do you need to go to law school? I'm like, Does it, don't agents need to be lawyers? She goes, no. Because Darren, life is about who you know, not what you know. You can go to Muhammad Ali's house in Bury and Springs right now. You can go to Magic's place in Beverly Hills or Joe Frazier's gym in Philly or Chevy Chase's house up in uh, New Bedford or Pamela Anderson's in Malibu. You realize these relationships? There's not an entertainment lawyer in the world that wouldn't kill to be in your position. And that's when it resonated with me. And he's like, why don't you speak to Magic about being your first client? What are you going to call the company? I'm like thinking Prince Marketing Group would be a good name because that's a good name. Two weeks later, I'm with Irvin in Detroit. And uh, it was almost like fate. He was by himself on this trip. No security, no assistant. I knocked on his hotel suite to get him ready for uh, an autograph signing event that we had at the Gibraltar uh, flea market. And he invited me in. He's always so personal. Come on, come on, boys, sit down. Let's catch up. And he actually said to me, what, what do you think you're going to do doing? you think you're going to stay in the business? And I was so nervous. You know, my palms were sweating. I was, <laughs> I was high on Percocets. He had no idea because oh, there was okay. no other way for me to function around my celebrities back then. And um, I got the nerve to ask him and tell him. And he goes, well, you need a really big client. If you're going to start an agency, you got anybody in mind? And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking, yo. And he's like, well, you better get yourself a good entertainment lawyer because I'm going to give you two years to represent me. But if you don't use me to knock down every door you can to build your agency, bring in all the celebrities you can, I'm going to fire you because life isn't how successful I become, Darren. I'm going to bring business success to the world of sports and entertainment they've never seen. But life is about how successful I can make you and everybody else around me. And I'll never forget those words. So when you asked, or when he said, yeah, I want to bring on you, did, was there any hesitation? Or did you feel like he knew it was coming? He knew you were going to ask him kind of thing? Well, 
I think by him identifying with uh-huh. making a mistake in the public eye, right? Sure. Um, that meant everything to him. Yeah. Knowing that I was beaten, a little bit broken, shaken, mm-hmm. but knowing the heart that I really had, um, and and spending a few years with me at that point, and most important, loving my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, they were super close. He'd call my my dad on his birthday every year, and oh, he'd bring in New York. We'd go for dinner, lunch, whatever it might be. I mean, just you know, he didn't want to see this happen to his boy, and um, that was it. I mean. Prince Martin was launched, and uh, I hired one of the best publicists in the world, R. Corey Hay, who was Andy Warhol's publicist. And, you know, I'm, all of a sudden I go from being broke, which I was still broke when I started Prince Martin Group and in debt, to super agent. And page, New York Post page six ran a big caption Super agent Darren Prince of Prince Martin Group signs Magic Johnson. So I'm beaming. You know, my ego, I'm broken, insecure. I, go run over to my parents' house to show my dad, dad, it's the main story on page six. He goes, sit down, son, let me talk to you. They're not calling you super agent because you're anybody special. Remember that. They're calling you that because magic is special. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. I was like, that really Humble. put my ego yeah. in check. And it took about probably six, seven months before, you know what, I took all the clients I was booking signings for, Smoking Joe, Chevy Chase, Pamela Anderson, um, you know, we had a, a ray of them, uh, Dennis Rahman at one point. Um, and just, I got in the middle of the industry for five or six years. I was high as a kite on opiates every day, every day, sniffing Oxycontins, Percocets, Vicodins, sniffing Ambien before I went to bed at night. And I was a rock star, but I'm very careful when I speak to high school kids so they don't get the wrong message. Because at one point, what was once living to use turned out to using to live. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. I don't know when that happened, but all of a sudden, those pills became my kryptonite. Right. And I couldn't capture the magic anymore. To stop and I was suicidal. Moment. Yep. I was suicidal. I was lost. I had the money. I had the notoriety. Um, you know, a, a beautiful wife at a point that we're now divorced. Um, you would have thought from the outside, everybody thought, man, I mean, who's got a better life than Darren Prince? But I just remember too, after a big adventure party and coming home, the same feeling I had from that baseball card show. I was lost, you know, I didn't want to live anymore. It, uh, it got to a point where I got my own life insurance policy. I, w- I would go to bed at night, I was never a prayer and just shut my eyes feeling like death, saying, God, just take me tonight. You know, my family would be good, my wife will have, a bunch of money to take care of herself. I, I just, I just can't, I just can't do this anymore. And um, you know, then the moment of clarity happened on July second, two thousand eight. What brought that moment? Well, after my overdose in Las Vegas, I finally got some courage to call an addiction psychiatrist, and he put me on Suboxone, told me I was an opiate addict. And uh, but I lied to him. He didn't know I was sniffing Ambien, drinking a couple of days a week, taking antidepressants, a mood stabilizer. Nice, nice combination, right? Yeah. Um, anxiety meds every day. Hell of a cocktail. This was every day. I was just going to say hell of a cocktail. Yeah, every day. <laughs> and um, just a shell of myself. So on July 1st of 2008, my uncle and his then girlfriend, Andrea, came to visit my mom from Miami. They paid me a surprise visit, and Steve Simon in my office knew how bad it was because he had to take me back and forth to the hospital a few times with panic attacks from withdrawal. And we thought, hey, let me go to a hotel suite, go to a spa, and let me detox for the next week. That's her brilliant thinking. Right. You know? <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, why yeah, not? Because it's so okay. easy with these. So she comes in and she sees me, and I was done, bloated, white. I look nothing like look now. And uh, had 
nothing left in the tank. And she's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not. For some reason, I felt so comfortable for the first time in my life talking to this strange woman who I never met. And she's like, what's wrong? And I told her, she goes, do you realize you're an addict and your life's become unmanageable? I said, absolutely. She goes, do you realize you're powerless? I said, uh-huh. She goes, I'm going to ask you something. And this is the most important question. Do you realize that it doesn't matter if you're from Yale or jail or Park Avenue or Park Bench, that addiction doesn't discriminate, that this stuff means nothing when you mean nothing? And that broke my soul. And I started to cry. I said, I get it. And she goes, you want to do anything it takes. This has to become the most important thing in her life. And um, I said, anything, I'm desperate. And she put me on a 36-hour detox plan. That 36-hour was July 2nd, 2008. It was about 7 o'clock at night. I came back from the gym. I was living in the Caroline building with my then-wife, Simone. And I called them up. I said, I can't freaking do this. I'm calling the damn doctor. I'm getting opiates. There's no way I'm going to make it. My brain is so damn opiate deficient. And um, my uncle grabbed the phone. He said, it's the goddamn disease talking. For once and for all, it's time to kick the shit out of the goddamn disease. Get yourself to a 12-step meeting and tell these people that you're sick and you're suffering. Get the help that you need and put your freaking ego aside already. And I said, I can't do it. I've been to those dumb meetings when I was 21. And I hung up the phone. I ran into the bathroom and locked the door as my wife is banging on the door, hysterically crying, baby, don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm going through the pill cabinets. And out came two extra strength Vicodins, which was crazy because we knew we cleaned out all the opiates and I thought I was getting Clonopin, which she was allowing me to take for a couple of days because it's not as hardcore as Xanax or Valium. And for a split second, it was like a gift from God. It was the relief that I needed. And I'm sitting there staring at him like, thank God. But then he came over me because I fell to my knees. I was shaking, trembling and crying. And I screamed at the top of my lungs, God help me. I can't do this without you. Take the money, take the notoriety, take the business. I said, I need your help. I said, if you take me out of hell, I will spend the rest of my life taking others out. And a burning right sensation over my right shoulder happened. I had that Bill W. white light moment. And I stood up, I flushed the pills. And um, two minutes later, I'm on a computer. I heard the voice say, I've got you when you're ready. And I found a 12-step meeting. It was a beautiful summer night. There was no Uber. I'm in a taxi cab. And I'm looking up at the sky on the way to this church basement in the upper eight saying, holy crap. For the first time in my life, I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to get high. And I walked into this church basement, 150, 200 acts of alcoholics that were all once of a hopeless state of mind. And I hear the leader say, is anybody new coming back or suffering? And this wasn't me, but this hand went right up in front of strangers. Um, I said, I'm sick, I'm suffering, I'm suicidal, I need your guys' help. I said, I got all this stuff, it doesn't mean anything anymore. And um, 10 to 12 spiritual brothers and sisters came over and they hugged me and they said, well, love you before you love yourself. Stick with the winners. If you want what we have, then do what we do. It's easier to stay sober than it is to get sober again. And the so-called... I had this moment of clarity that the so-called big-time super agent was nothing but a complete fraud that couldn't stay sober for more than an hour at a time. And I realized humility is the key. And um, one day became a week, a week became a month, a month became a year. And I realized after I had the gift of desperation, that slowly turned into the power of choice. And then after power of choice, 
giving this away to other people was everything, that's when hope and recovery began. Sorry, got me too, brother. Yeah, that was, uh, that's, um, that's incredible. Happy that you're here and got through it. And that was, yeah. So working the you daily step worker meeting, I know I was sitting there thinking, boy, we're talking to Darren today and I pulled out the, you know, my AA morning daily reading. And, mm. um, so how are you now with it? Have you sponsored other people? What's Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you one of my great sponsor stories. This Please. is this guy, John, in New Jersey. And back in 2015, I was honored to speak at the New Jersey Mental Health Association, a gal in North New Jersey. And uh, a little bit of the ego started coming in. This was great. I got six years sober or whatever it was, seven years sober. Knew nothing about speaking. I think the speech completely sucked if I look back at it. And I was probably speaking as if I was in an AA meeting. But the minute they announced it and it was on the website in the newspaper, I got a call from Stacy Green from Turning Point who arranged it. And she says to me, um, I just got the most amazing call from a father that has a son uh, who's been in six treatment centers. He's 22 years old. He's a hardcore heroin addict. And the father said, my son just saw the newspaper ad with who you're honoring and who he is. And he looked this Mr. Prince up online and he said, dad, can we go to this? And it was the first time I saw a little bit of hope that he's serious about this. And then in the humility kicked back in. I look up at the sky. I remember saying, thank you, God. This event isn't about me. This is about this guy. Something's going to happen when I meet this young kid. And I got there early with my boy, Bo, my mom and dad were there. And I got to spend about 15 minutes just being me, just being raw and real. And uh, we had a connection. We exchanged numbers. And um, he relapsed quite a bit, quite a bit for the first three, four, five months. And I'll never forget the day. It was about six months after I'm at the Lamontras here visiting California before I lived here. And I shoot him a text. Hey, bro, I know you must be going bad. I haven't heard from you in three weeks. I'm always here from you. He calls me up. He goes, D, I'm just embarrassed, man. I feel like I'm wasting your time. And yeah, I've been struggling so bad. I just can't get this. I want it, but I just can't figure life out. I said, John, I said, I don't care if you go bad 99 more times. I said, as long as you wake up on this side of the earth, call me on the hundredth, because I don't want to be there to miss the magic when it happens. That line, to this day, he's been sober and active in the 12-step community. Hell yeah. That's, That's, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, no. It's esteemable acts have given me the self-esteem that I've always been looking for. Though all due respect, it's not Ollie and Frazier and Magic and Hulk and all these guys. It's it's giving back. It's seeing that magic yeah. in somebody else's eyes. You know. Well, I think that's oftentimes a misnomer, especially you know, you sharing your story. I know for myself, when we're young, uh, unwise in the world, most certainly not dumb, but unwise in the world, that how we really look at success, and then we start to understand, you know, that. We want to have a purpose to this yeah. world. We yeah. want to know our place. And yeah. it, like you said, it's it's the irony of um, where people, you know, and, and you're relaying it as, boy, isn't that a terrible thing and a miserable thing? It's like, yeah, I fucked up a lot of things in life. I hurt a lot of people that I really care about and even strangers I don't even know and was disrespectful to my community. But, boy, I sure I found something that it's worth it. Yep. Yeah. 
worth it now. DJ, it's, it's just a matter of replacing it, you know, with something good, you know, just filling up that void, mm. you know. And, you know, I tell people just because we get sober, it doesn't mean life gets better, but we get better, you know. Yeah. Our perspective and our perception changes on everything around us. And I've been through my own personal hell and back in recovery, divorce, broken engagement. I screwed that up with my ex-fiance Priscilla, who's still near and dear to me. I love her to death. These two kinks lost them both yeah. in, in recovery and um, Ali and Frazier. And, uh, but the beautiful thing about recovery is I was there for both of them at their memorials, at their funerals. And I got to escort Muhammad Ali to Joe Frazier's funeral with his wife, Lonnie, yeah. and uh, to be present and feel it and hold smoke in Joe's hand in the hospital, be one of three people allowed to even see him a month before he passed and rub his head and tell him what he meant to the world and to me to go through that pain um, and, and and just be good, just yeah. be connected to my spiritual brothers and sisters. And then the biggest one of all was my father on February 15th, 2017. Suddenly I had an aneurysm, perfect health. He had no isms, never drank, never smoked, was in a coma, came out of it. And uh, I literally, because of Hulk Hogan, uh, Terry, Balaya, let's call him by his real name, <laughs> told me to go get some time with my dad. He had that gift with his dad to say goodbye yeah. and, and, and to ask him if he's ready or if he wants to keep fighting. And uh, I went the night before we put him into hospice and I held his hand and I got on my knees. I said, Dad, you tell me what you want to do. You want to keep fighting? I go, I'll speak to the doctors. Otherwise, it's time to go see Grandma and Grandpa, Joe and Muhammad and send everybody my best and tell them I love them and tell them that I'm, I'm doing real good down here. And... um he looked away and looked back. My dad was not an emotional guy, but tears running down his face. And he said, he had a tube in his throat, but I can see what he was saying. I'm ready to die. And I said, it's good. I said, it's all good. It's calm as I am with you guys today. And I said, but I'm going to do something. I said, your son is going to make his legacy about touching the world of recovery and mental health. Mm -hmm. Because I need others to understand you can get through the worst crap in life without picking up a substance and going off the deep end. Mm -hmm. And I've heard too many stories in the rooms and in the meetings of people that didn't have that blessing when a loved one went and passed and they were higher, they were out there. I didn't have that. And I got through the most uncomfortable time of my life, Dad, right now with you, never feeling so comfortable because my higher power, my spiritual brothers and sisters, and having a rock solid foundation and I need people to know that you can you, you can do this. Yeah. And uh, he, he smiled. And the next day we, we called hospice and I was in Dallas because I had a business meeting. And it's just those GMCs, I call them God-managed coincidences. I went to a AA meeting. I've probably been to more meetings around the world than anybody in the history of the fellowship since 1935. Uh, Maui, Honolulu, Tokyo, Japan, London, England, and Guiola, Monaco, Nice, France, um, Paris. I mean, Sydney, Australia, Brisbane most incredible thing in the world when you walk into a meeting in another country and feel right at home and in Dallas the name of that clubhouse was the answer <sighs> literally the day my dad passes I walk in I go the answer I just look up at the sky and uh, the minute I put my hand up and shared what happened half the room is crying because of exactly what I just said they either lost a parent or a loved one in recovery the other half is cheering and tears of joy because they got to experience it on the other side love it well, we know we're getting a little low on our time. And before we let you uh, 
wrap up leaving Which is the positive because I want to hear more. I want I you know. to keep going. <laughs> we, <laughs> we need a part two. We could yeah, do it. We I, I had the same thing with Shay Shetty. Yeah, yeah, we need I, a I part gotta, two. Oh yeah. man, and because I, I didn't even get to talk to you about that. I love Jay. I just finished his book as well. I did the audio. Think like a monk, right? Yeah, I did the audio book version. Hope to be able to speak with that gentleman someday. But as you know, we like to do the fun, rapid questions, just random questions. But Mike, go ahead, fire it off here. All right. If you were stranded on an island and you can take with you one album and one movie, what would they be? The album would have to be Grateful Dead. That was probably Pro- the quickest answer we've ever gotten. A lot of people uh, were on it. You knew. Yeah, probably Grateful Dead. Okay. Um, maybe without a net. Um, there's so many. I've been to a hundred shows. Um, and then uh, what was the other one? A movie. A movie. Yeah. <sighs> Probably one of the ones that always make me laugh, like Step Brothers or Wedding oh, Crashers. You can never go wrong with those. You can never oh, go wrong. I would have never picked you for a deadhead. Nobody would. Big time deadhead. Yeah. Big time. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, if they were to make a movie about you, who would you want to play you in your, your biopic? That's, that's interesting because I've had quite a few production companies come to me since the book came out about a documentary or a movie. Um, I. I, I don't think a movie would work. I'm going to tell you why, not to change your question, but only because of the clients. I think it's so hard to match up. I think sure. a documentary, mm. which was the last meeting that I had, would be the way to go. But, I mean, if there's a celebrity out there that may or may not look like me or people have told me, when I shave my head, maybe a Jason Statham, Kirk Cameron, you know, I think mm, okay. growing up, Kirk Cameron might be a bit of work. But I don't. I don't think I'm, I would love to see Statham do. That's yeah. all I'm daring Prince. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Hemsworth's going to play Hulk, so there you yeah, go. There you, you can go. Slot him in. Yep. You know? There you go. If you can go back in time or in the future, where would you choose to go and why? Um, go as far ahead as you want, far back as you want. It's going to be a little bit of a long-winded answer. I know we're pressed on time, but I also do a lot of mindset work. My mm-hmm. my buddy John Alvino is a master NLP life coach, and he's put me into some very deep, deep healing subconscious trans sessions. And even before I did Jay, um, I always make sure with you guys too. A lot of praying this morning. I got to get that energy back. I got to make it real. I got to bring the emotions. And um, he took me to a therapy session when I was eight years old. Uh, with my family therapist and uh, this was recently a month ago and I, I sat there with my eight-year-old self and I told them life was gonna be okay because you didn't speak up I could see the future mm-hmm. and um, you know I think we all have the inner child stuck in us with so many ways we behave now so that's why I'd rather go in the past yeah. and work on that person than the future yeah I yeah, know absolutely no it's funny because I got people that give me shit there because I started um Get who it was bought me my first Lego gift card because I loved Legos as a kid, yeah. especially Star Wars. Yeah. That's the shit I do now as an adult, and I've had a few people make fun of me. But it's probably uh, me. Sorry. <laughs> well, you're a dick. We know that. But no, now that people like get it because I do. It's like that regression period, yeah. and and it's back to the points of as a kid with dyslexia. I would believe it or not, really short, gangly. That all of a sudden I'm just like peaceful in there in that thing. Like I just put together Darth Vader's Tie Fighter. Yeah. This is awesome yeah. life is cool that's great yeah. it's like a 43 year old that won't grow up i love it uh pet peeves Ooh, pet peeve um that one i gotta think about what is my pet peeve? oh people not returning calls or texting within like an hour or two i think no matter who you are 
I could message Mark Cuban right now. I, I, I have a laundry list of big wigs. Sure. You know, Scooter Braun's always super, you know, with getting back to me. My clients are always, uh, you know, Gary V. I can email like nobody's that busy. Right. You can't take a couple unless you're, if you, unless you don't have the ability to have a phone. Look, if you're an actor, an actress on the set, I understand it. A lot of times you're not looking at your phone. Um, if you're an athlete in training, athlete in a game. Yeah, if you're an athlete that. in a game, yeah, I understand that. Right. But if it's a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday or something where pretty much everybody likes to have their downtime or be caught up on, come on, or like a Monday night when you know somebody's not working, you send it quickly. Right. It, it's just it drives me crazy. I'm always accessible within like an hour or two. I know a lot of it's OCD and the connection to my phone, but I I just can't deal with people that sometimes take I, I can't if I, if I had any clients like that I wouldn't be able to work with them corporate or right. celebrities drives me crazy yeah because I'm assuming everything deals yep. come and go quick it's yep. gotta be quick I was telling you on the way over here I was getting so frustrated with my primary doctor she just <laughs> never gets back to me ever and I'm it's like you worst. know how do I get a hold of and talk to Charlie Sheen twice but you exactly. never 100%. my own doctor but I talked to Charlie twice but I can't talk to you that, at all. that's my line like when people yeah. take a day or two I'm like oh I'm sorry I can message Mark Cuban right now he's gonna get back to me in 20 30 minutes yeah. every single time yeah Mark's a great guy I got to interview him years ago he was a blast to talk to give me a great testimony for my book he's a great guy yeah uh, Mike one more then we're gonna leave Darren with um, with the last words oh I was gonna say give us a uh, pearls of wisdom or last words so that threw me off I got to think of another question um, if you could have any superpower in the world what would it be I mean, you kind of already do healing people. I, 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 yeah. th I think I think I think I have it, man. And just get these spiritual messages out there. You know, I always like to say it says in my bedroom, the big neon sign, you know, try to say what you mean, mean what you say and don't say it mean. Yeah. Uh, try to understand people better. Try to not engage because a lot of times we're going to open up our big fat mouth and not have that restraint of pen and tongue or text. If you don't say anything, you just go on with your day. You're not even going to remember what it was that you were stressed out about. Mm -hmm. And then we're not responsible for our thoughts, but we are responsible for how long we want to think those thoughts. And for people struggling out there today with mental health and substance abuse, just get out of your own way and be a service. Help somebody else. Pick up the phone for somebody else that you know is suffering or struggling or dealing with some drama in their life that you know you're able to deal with to, to, to you know calm them off the edge because. That, that that's how we that, that's how we grow that's how we evolve just being of service you know absolutely yeah you know and then i got also got to give a shout out to allison or a girl from banyan yeah. oh love well, her let's to all death. shout out allison thank you allison you, you are great always, which one are we for, for always working so hard <laughs> i do have my own toll-free call center number at banyan for people that need to be scholarship their help it's 8886-darren-d-a-r-r-e-n and my foundation is aiminghighfoundation.org. Uh, if you don't have the resources, I don't care. You inbox there or at agent underscore DP on Instagram. We send out free books all the time. Um, anybody needs, you know, somebody to speak to or, like I said, to be scholarship to a treatment center, I'll be more than happy to provide the financing to do it. Absolutely. Awesome. And if you are watching this on, on YouTube or listening, we have all those links in the descriptions and, uh, you know, if for whatever reason you can't seem to connect with it we'll get you connected yep. we'll help you out well I, w I wish we had like two more i know hours, we gotta get but, uh, we gotta get our carl denise yeah, in here yeah we gotta rock hey, with that. thank you for uh being so uh vulnerable and transparent 
Yeah. Thanks for having Thank me, guys. We'll do it again when you want. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Awesome. Darren Prince, man, what a great guy. Got deep. Yes, I know, deep. dude. I've been on the verge of crying, but that's the first time I cried yeah, in a conversation. Yeah, no, that was a hell of a story for sure. It's uh, really awesome for him to get vulnerable like that, and you know, not hold back whatsoever. That's it's kind of what we're all about. So yeah, yeah. commend him for that. That's really a uh, was a really great story. Very uh, very powerful. Absolutely. And just doing wonderful things and giving back. He's such a, a jovial guy, but it was so cool to hear about the foundation work that he's got going on and that, the, you know, through his experiences and, and his hard work and, and the uh, the wealth he's been able to uh, generate based on that hard work that he's using a, a good amount of it to give back and help people out one at a time. Yeah, and no, absolutely. Definitely some incredible stuff there. That's true example. Sure. You know what? He joked about the two tattoos. We should get him to do a knock and doors down tattoo because he's truly a prime example of what it means to knock doors down, to change your life and give back to others. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to getting knocking doors down tattoo. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, but uh, also his book, Autobiography, a great read for sure. Make sure that you guys pick that up and check it out. And who do we got coming next week, Mikey? Guy. Guy Filicelli. That's right. He's a Canadian, eh? So he's, we know he's polite. And he's, yeah, he's got to be super nice. <laughs> Most Canadians you meet are definitely nice. Guy Filicelli, really interesting uh, gentleman who uh, he literally was living on the streets for 20 years, one of those people that uh, you drove by and maybe discounted. And here he is, man. He's not only sober, he's turned his life around. He's helping people get clean. A family man, he is a true example, again, of going back to what knocking doors down is all about and turning your life around and giving back. And uh, fun conversation. Absolutely. So make sure to stick around for that next week. And, of course, if uh, you enjoy reading like I do, don't forget to pick up Carlos Vieira's autobiography, Knocking Doors Down the uh what started this whole podcast. It's simple. You can click that link in the podcast description, get it in paperback, hardback, or even the ebook on Amazon. Mikey, anything else? No, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. Fifty-one fifty is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams, and working hard. Always striving to make those dreams a reality. We believe life's too short to sit back and say, "What if?" Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being fifty-one fifty is committing to that long, hard road ahead that you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's fifty-one fifty. If you're living the fifty-one fifty lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. Listeners of Knocking Doors Down, head over to 5150ltm.com. That website again, 51FIFTYLTM.com. Strengthening communities, providing resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the race for autism, race to end the stigma, and race to be drug free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit carlosvierafoundation.org today.
This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.